This is District Sentinel Radio. It's the newscast of record. For the left, I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. And we're broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. This is the show we do for you, our subscribers. We appreciate the support. We're going to be bringing out the garbage can at the end of the show. Got some file follies in the middle of the show. But first, you know, I came this close, Sam, this close to calling it Pisstown at the beginning of the show because it's becoming a bit untenable to live here. I haven't been out to any restaurants recently, um, but the other day I was out in Georgetown with, um, I don't think I've announced it, but I got engaged recently. <laughs> So Mazel tov. fiance, thank you. We were in burying the lead here, just casually slipping it in. Well, there. I was about to say girlfriend and then I'm like, shit, uh, <laughs> she's Moving not my girlfriend up. anymore. And I didn't feel like I could just drop a fiance bomb without doing a, uh, doing a, a precursor or, you know, an intro to it. Anyways, whatever. One of us, one of <laughs> us. Hopefully we'll see. <laughs> Got to, uh, <laughs> I did not screw up over the next month, but um, so we were in we were in Georgetown to uh, we were actually there doing ring business, but uh, we walked by Par- Pizzeria Paradiso, which is is that only a DC thing? Does that exist in other places? I think it's a DC um, chain. There are a few around DC possibly in uh, the suburbs in Maryland and Virginia. I yeah. uh, Maybe it's in other places. I don't know. Don't really want to Google it right now. Don't really care. I, anyway, we were hungry. There, you know, it was pretty empty. There weren't many people in there. So we're like, you know, let's just sneak in, have some pizza. And we ate some pizza. I guess this started recently now where restaurants uh, are now, I guess, Getting rid of the tip minimum wage is now being enforced. Um, and I seem to recall during the whole debate about this, restaurant owners acting like, oh, this is going to hurt workers, you know, because uh, uh, customers will know that workers are getting paid more, so they won't leave as high of tips anymore. And the workers who were getting above $15 an hour with tips are now going to get make less money because of this law which i always thought was bullshit because i i mean speaking personally i'd still tip the person but uh i noticed on the bill that there's now a service fee that's applied and then below it it said recommended tip for the server so this is what the restaurant owner wants customers to tip their servers the recommendation was two percent there was like three recommendations two percent five percent and seven percent like the two percent was like 60 cents <laughs> like uh <laughs> we recommend leaving your server 60 fucking cents i posted this online and people were like well you know the service fees being applied which was about 20 percent so uh the server is getting their own what are you getting mad about? And it's like, buddy, if you think that the server is getting that money, the service fee, like they're not. Now, the restaurant is having to comply with rules now and pay their workers a, an actual fair wage, 
which they didn't have to do before. But a lot of these restaurants are extremely profitable, especially Pizzeria Paradiso, and could afford it. But what they're doing is they want customers to know what's going on. Like they could have added a few cents to some menu prices if they wanted to, right? They could have added a quarter to the price of their fucking pizzas and no one would have really known. No one. But now they're applying this obvious service charge to bills as a sort of political statement and then purposefully stiffing their servers, making them suffer for it by telling customers, oh, well, now that we have to comply with this, feel free to not tip your server that much. Yeah. Yeah, and they clearly want you to think that that service fee is going to the server. No. And there's there's no indication. Like, okay, prove it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, there is there like there is an argument to be made that it ultimately would be good for the U.S. to move away from a tip system where servers are not like depending on people to the generosity of customers to make ends meet. Yeah, it's also not a thing in Europe to tack on hidden fees at the end of a, no. a, a of a bill. Like the price they give you, the taxes are included. All the costs are included. It's only the U.S. that does it. Well, sorry, they do it in Canada too. But it's only in North America, seemingly, um, where this thing happens. I mean, it's possible that, you know, as the the long arm of uh, financial capital has spread from uh, the United States around the globe, that uh, some awful management consultants have, have uh, you know, convinced people in other countries that, hey, if you don't tack on tax and hidden fees until af- at the point of sale, that's going to make it harder for people to back out. Yeah. Well, look. Anyway, this is this is it's fucked. That is. Yeah, it's it's good. It's good that the tip minimum minimum wage is gone and workers are earning a full minimum wage and should be earning higher, but at least a full minimum wage. It's bad that restaurant owners are now coming in to screw their own employees. Uh as a result of this. Well, uh, the good news is that maybe DC restaurants will get their comeuppance because they will uh, serve George Santos, who will pay with a fraudulent credit card. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'm not just saying that because he's been accused of every other crime in the book. It's because he's also this week, he was accused of credit <laughs> card fraud. <laughs> he was. A he former was. roommate uh, alleging that back in 2017, Santos was like the ringleader of a credit card fraud scheme. <laughs> they would uh, they would copy pin numbers or ATM debit card numbers and pin numbers, and uh, yeah, evidently they went wild. And Santos let his partner take the fall, according to the partner who spent seven months in prison and was deported to Brazil. Fuck. And also, he said the the partner, the ex partner, said that um, at the time Santos went by the name Anthony Devolder. So yeah. there appears to be a consensus. Uh, maybe that it's already emerged, and that was clear that his name was Anthony Devolder before. But that solves the mystery of why he uh, he didn't respond to his own name when uh, the roll call <laughs> was happening in Congress. One of his first days there. <laughs> That's his crime name. That's the name he uses when he's doing crimes. 
Anyways, uh, at least Congress didn't repeal this law. Same can't be said of the district's crime reform bill, which Congress did vote to overturn this week. Republicans in the House joined with Democrats in the Senate and the Democratic president in the White House to basically spin the face of D.C. residents to tell us we can't be trusted to govern ourselves. There's lots of focus on, for, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, the D.C. city government passed um, a crime. We've talked about this on the show before, a bill that reduces some of the sentencing for some crimes, increases the sentencing for other crimes, clarifies what crimes are so that there's a difference between someone like pickpocketing someone and someone committing armed robbery. Um, prior DC code just had the same punishment uh, for both. So it was up to a judge to sort of figure it out. Now it this law created, you know, clear divisions um, the thing it was, that the it was law... years in the work, it was years yes, in the work, decades. It was very technocratic. Yes. Decades in the works, updating a criminal code that hadn't had an overhaul in like a hundred years. One thing that it did that really uh, captured the imaginations of total freaks and law and order Republicans and Democrats is it lowered the penalty for carjacking from like 40 years to 24 years. And that was because nobody got 40 years for carjacking. No judge in any district anywhere in the country is sentencing anyone to 40 years just for simple carjacking. So the law was changed and lowered to a sentence that's more commensurate with what people get for carjacking to 24 years. And it also allows for a judge to add more years if like the dude used a gun. A person used a gun. Excuse me. Let's <laughs> give it up for uh, non-dudes who are doing carjackings as well. <laughs> but <laughs> more lady carjackers. A lot of attention is on Biden for saying he will not veto this bill because he argued that that this will harm public safety in the district that by lowering that, that suddenly carjackers see that the punishment for carjacking is now 24 years instead of 40 years, they're going to just go on a carjacking spree. Yeah. So what, uh, what, are, what, what's one third of your life between friends? <laughs> it's also never been shown that stiff, penalties deter crime like overly stiff penalties deter crime and if they did there wouldn't be so many carjackings in dc like there has been an increase in carjackings in dc <laughs> so as i said a lot of attention on on biden for uh saying he he won't veto the bill let's put some focus on the 34 democratic senators who also voted for this bill 34 of them, 34 who claim who, who will have all probably been on record saying that they support D.C. statehood and home rule, but afraid that Republicans might call them soft on crime in two years or some bullshit, they get suckered in 
to voting for this bill. And that's that's giving the benefit of the doubt to some of these some of the some of these lawmakers. Some of them are just like Nixonian in the sense that they love stiff penalty. They love throwing people in fucking jail. But 34 Democrats, probably easier to just read the names of Democrats who didn't vote for this bill. Booker, Cardin, Duckworth, Durbin, Hirono, Merkley, Markey, Murphy, Reed, Sanders, Van Hollen, Warren, Welch, and Whitehouse. The only mm. Democrats to vote no. Uh, Senators Carper, Fetterman, and Feinstein did not vote. They weren't present. And a Republican, Risch, did not vote. Um, the rest of the Senate supported this. Tammy Baldwin supported it. Blumenthal out of Connecticut supported it. Sherrod Brown supported it. Mm. Man, Bob it, Casey. You know, it it really takes me back to those days of the uh, of the Obama administration when they were throwing uh, when they were throwing institutions and people in the Democratic Party under the bus. Or in the Democratic Party's orbit, like Acorn, Shirley Sherrod, both of them taken down by uh, Project Veritas uh, frauds, basically. Yep. And it was like, it was wild watching it in real time, just watching Democrat after Democrat accept the non-reality that the right was presenting. And here it is happening again, and it's, it's, it's you know i know we shouldn't we shouldn't expect much from these people at all no no at this point yeah, and but i don't expect nevertheless from when that. it does when it does happen it's still just wow well it's also yeah. so self-defeating because by giving in to republicans here republicans are still going to call them soft on crime and now they're just putting a wedge in the party where certain democrats have to fend off the line that they're soft on crime because they didn't go along with this fucking gimmick also had Dem Democrats like Gillibrand and Wyden vote for this. Uh, Chris Coons voted for it, although to be fair to Coons, he said that he only did it to protect his wife while she was in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, they had again a Valentine's Day wife. date. They didn't want she they didn't want any uh, anyone to carjack them. Uh, while they were on their precious Valentine's Day dates in the district. Like, th these people live on Capitol Hill, if anywhere in D.C., and go, like, from door to door via black car. Like, yeah. nothing is happening to Mrs. Coons. To be okay? clear, that's a joke. That was a joke. You oh, okay. That. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we just okay. know that wow. he's the ultimate wife guy in the Senate. So. Well, well, there was a Republican who did say it. Which is why oh, I think I, okay. I, I, I thought well, someone maybe was, Coons ah. did say it then too. I could say see, I can see Coons being like he's got a point. I think it was Roger Marshall, if I'm not mistaken. He made a speech. The um the senator from Kansas, the uh, junior senator from Kansas. I think he invoked his wife. I believe he invoked his wife. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um I did not I did not do my background research on the uh on the wife defense. So well, I I believe it was him though. Definitely there was one Republican senator who who 
went right to the wife. Which again, he he's a Republican senator. He probably lives in Northern Virginia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't live in DC. Uh, as a corollary, um, I should note that the Washington Post uh, this week, first of all, the editorial board applauded the decision uh, by Biden, and like none of them actually live in DC. Um, <laughs> but then a few days later. The uh, Metro section, the local news section, reported on a poll which found that 75% of D.C. residents feel safe. And, boy, when it was tweeted out, the silent, the, the loud minority was, was there in the replies, just melting down that, you know, that their, their fucking throbbing, swollen amygdala is not what's driving other people's realities. And they just can't. They just can't cope with it. And uh, I, I mean, it, it makes me a little bit hopeful that you know some of this uh, tough on crime bullshit doesn't have the same appeal that it did like forty years ago when the crime rate was significantly higher than it is now. I don't know. It is kind of fucked up when, and as you said, most of these. Reporters at the Post probably don't even live in D.C., at least the editorial board. Oh, yeah, the uh, board. Doesn't. Yeah, no, that's no. Um, but I did see some reporters at the Post. All I think Ashley Parker was one of them tweeting oh, yeah. about how, like, D.C. is this crime, crime hell. No location in the bio, by the way, Ashley Parker. No location in the bio. If if the, if journalists who live in a city are far more afraid than the actual residents who live in the city, that's going to create a bunch of fucked up journalism that's going to end up skewing the opinions of people who live in the city. That's how these crime panics are fueled, because even though crime is down historically, there have been some upticks in certain crimes, but overall crime is down. You have these like panicky reporters who increasingly come from wealthier families because the industry doesn't pay shit. Who are just constantly panicked by crime. We're always freaking out about crime. And then you have it if it, it creates a feedback loop, right? It 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 feeds into Republican narratives about crime, which then causes Democrats to be afraid of those Republican narratives, so they want to be tough on crime. And cops just keep getting billions and billions of dollars. Hey, we're still on recession watch here at the District Sentinel. Uh, there was some jobs numbers that came out uh, at the end of this week showing there were even more jobs created in February. Um, but all you have to do is listen to Jerome Powell's words to have faith that he's going to crash this fucking economy. <laughs> We're still seeing a tight labor market, and we need to see the labor market not be... I can't really do a Jerome Powell impression, but anyway. He he testified... That was pretty good. He testified in the House and in the Senate this week and said the Fed was prepared to increase interest rates higher than originally planned. And he was questioned by senators and members of Congress. He was presented with evidence written by the Fed's own economist showing... That hitting the 2% inflation targets that that Powell is going for can only be achieved through inducing a severe recession. 
also presented with historical evidence showing that every time the Fed has rapidly increased interest rates like this, the economy has gone into a recession. Elizabeth Warren brought this up in questioning. I think it was 11 for or 12 for 12. One of them. It's happened 12 times or 11 times and every single time, boom, recession. And confronted with this, Powell said, pedal to the metal, baby. Well, it's not my intention to, to engineer a recession. Uh, I don't think there needs to be a recession. And, uh, and then actually the next day, when Powell was asked specifically about predictions of a recession by Fed research, he was asked that by Ayanna Presley. He said, she said, would you commit to pausing future rate, hike, rate hikes considering, you know, these recessionary predictions? And he said, well, I, I don't know. This is a hypothetical. Well, it's a pretty basic hypothetical. Like, are you concerned about a recession? And, you know, would those concerns motivate you to reconsider rate hikes? And he didn't even say, I would look at it. I would certainly look at it because my dual mandate includes full employment. Um, he was just like, no, I, I'm not. I, I can't answer that. You're making things up. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it happens. Like It's happened every time. <laughs> 11 out of 11 times. It happens. But maybe this time will be different. They're overdue. They're overdue for for a soft landing. We just had a major bank failure. Silicon Valley Bank, major tech lander, lender. Biggest bank failure since 2008. Ooh, ooh. We'll have more on that in our FOIA Follies segment in just a few minutes. File Follies. File Follies, not what FOIA. What did I say? FOIA Follies. Fuck, you I said wrote, FOIA. I that way too. Yeah. Let me file follies, file follies. That's okay. You know, you change up the name enough, you get confused. You start combining old names together. Well, I, I say the file follies segment this week is based on FOIA sometimes. So they're, therefore they are kind of FOIA follies, but you know what? Whatever. Stay tuned. We'll talk about it in our file FOIA segment. Moving on, when the feds go after people on the left, they usually try to dot every I, cross every T, and don't accidentally hand over classified information to defense attorneys in a move that calls the trial into disrepute. But that's not what happened this week in a high-profile federal case against fascist militants for some weird reason. Reading now from key parts of a Politico story on the mishap, quote, Federal prosecutors inadvertently disclosed likely classified material to Proud Boys defense attorneys, Justice Department officials indicated Thursday, a snafu that has derailed for at least a full day the most important trial to emerge from the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Uh, It's a little funny that a staid news organization like Politico would use the term snafu, considering it stands for situation normal all fucked up. And I know that snafu is like, more common parlance now it just it i don't know like maybe maybe don't use that word it just seems a little unbecoming of a you know of a of a news organization that thinks its farts smell good but i yeah whatever that's that's neither here nor there Assistant U.S. Attorney Jocelyn Ballantine, who is supervising the case for the Justice Department, acknowledged the likely spill of classified information Thursday morning. 
She raised particular concerns about a message sent to FBI Special Agent Nicole Miller, one of the lead investigators in the Proud Boys case, by another agent who works on covert activity and who she said did not work on the Proud Boys case, describing a supervisor's order to, quote, destroy 338 items of evidence. Now, uh, there are procedures, I believe, for when the FBI can destroy evidence that turns out to be unrelated to any kind of criminal charges. Uh, but it sounds bad, you got to admit. Destroying 338 items of evidence in any context? You know, it doesn't... It, it's Where there's smoke, there's fire, kind of? That, that doesn't sound great. But probably not as bad as this, though. Defense lawyers cried foul, noting that the government's claims of classified material arrived just as the defense sounded the alarm about the content of some of the inadvertently disclosed messages. Some appeared to reveal that FBI agents accessed contacts between defendant Zachary Rell and his attorney, which led Miller to tell a colleague she thought Rell would take his case to trial. So yeah, I, I've been burned playing lawyer before. A middle schooler could tell you this is not okay, that cops cannot eavesdrop on defendants and their attorneys. Like, even in all the, the law and order CSI crap where they constantly venerate cops, they're like, oh, you can't. <laughs> anyway. Look, I'm not saying the Justice Department is always successful in going after the left. Recall the prosecution of hundreds of protesters at Trump's inauguration, the so-called J-20 cases, how they finally fell apart when it was revealed that prosecutors with, were withholding evidence from defense attorneys. But this was after juries acquitted most of the defendants who had their lives ruined because they happened to end up kettled by police. And the ultimate collapse of the prosecution only happened after the Fed's hand was forced by the defense to admit their treachery. It's unclear the full implications of this screw-up in the Proud Boys case as of recording, but one thing is clear. It was fucking gift-wrapped by the Justice Department, literally sent by email to the Proud Boys attorneys. It, you know, it's just a kind of luck that for some reason, for some weird reason, this never seems to happen to left-wing activists on trial. For some weird fucking reason. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is a deliberate sabotage of the case here. You know, it's it's possible we're wrong, but, you know, maybe maybe we're sounding to InfoWarriors conspiracy theory guys right now. But come on. Come on. What is this? I mean, at the very least, it just shows sort of like a lack of care, like a lack of of care to really do the necessary diligence to secure a conviction in this case where you know if it was like a bunch of left-wing activists they would be you know double checking before they send emails and shit yeah oh yeah anyway u.s intel agencies are throwing everything at the wall and hoping that something sticks to distract people from who actually bombed the Nord Stream pipelines. Remember, after the pipelines were blown up last September, the U.S., Ukraine, NATO, all blamed Russia. They all promised they were going to investigate this, but they said this has all the hallmarks of what Russia is doing. You know, we saw Russia 
attack some civilian infrastructure in Ukraine, so it only makes sense they would bomb their own pipeline in the Baltic. <laughs> well, almost six months later, these investigations have been ongoing. No evidence that Russia did it. And then, investigative journalist Cy Hirsch drops this bombshell alleging that, in fact, it was the United States that blew up the pipelines, that it was an elite team of U.S. Navy divers that went and planted explosives at the direction of President Biden. Who himself actually said, basically, in to- like, on national TV, on TV in front of the whole world, was like, there won't be a Nord Stream 2. Yes. <laughs> How, the journalist asks, there won't be one. Yeah, Biden basically ah. calling his shot. And according to the Cy Hirsch like report, he's basically saying that as the operation is going on. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there hasn't been much reporting on it, and Cy Hirsch's account provided the most coherent theory yet as to what happened, because it never really made sense why Russia would bomb its own fucking pipeline and then invest in money to rebuild the pipeline. <laughs> Um, but that's all, that's all that U.S. media outlets and U.S. officials were feeding people like this just had to be Russia and we'll, we'll, we'll eventually uncover the evidence. Don't worry about it. So Cy Hirsch puts forward this alternate theory and now floodgates are opening up on sources, so-called sources speaking to the New York times about what really happened with Nord Stream The Times publishing a story this week, vague, vague story that it was actually Ukrainians who did it. Well, maybe it was Ukrainians and also some Russians who did it. Times Mm. isn't totally sure. Either way, it was a pro-Ukrainian group. It was a private group that was financed by some wealthy mystery man. And these intel sources told the Times that they're not sure if the Ukrainian government knew about it, but it probably didn't know about it. And of course, the U.S. government didn't know about this operation. (laughs) Like, if you read this story, there's so much hedging and, you know, it could have been this, it could have been that. It could have been this, it could have been that. Like, there's no actual position taken, which makes you think that this is all meant to distract people to get people looking in any other direction, multiple other directions other than the one that Cy Hirsch put out. Or at least if Cy Hirsch hasn't nailed it, he's come closer than uh, U.S. intel agencies want him to get to be like, you might not have gotten all the details right. It might not have been the Navy. It might not have been on these dates or using these ships, but uh, Biden directed this shit. <laughs> so, You've got German media outlets saying that the operation involved five men, one woman, that they used a private yacht chartered by a Ukrainian company based in Poland, and that these saboteurs were driving around Poland with explosives uh, to, to get to the yacht, to load them up, to go on this expedition. One German newspaper even published a picture of the boat. The Times in London reported that NATO officials knew immediately that it was the Ukrainians who blew up the Nord Stream pipelines, but didn't want to reveal it because they didn't want to harm Ukraine's relations with Germany as the two countries were negotiating weapons transfers. 
which doesn't make much sense either because Ukraine still very much depends on Germany for weapons and this war is still going on for a while. So why start leaking this information now if you didn't leak it earlier because you didn't want to harm German-Ukrainian relations? Again, all of this seems sketchy as hell and probably improbable. At least the idea that a that a private organization could carry out this operation could attack a critical piece of infrastructure for the European Union that's surrounded by NATO militarized NATO countries without the Ukrainian government, Ukrainian intelligence, the U.S. government, U.S. intelligence knowing about it or providing assistance to it. Um, I don't believe it. There could be some motives, though, in. Um, there could be some reason, though, why you're seeing sources try to blame the Ukrainians for this one. It could be people who want to deflect from the U.S., and know that they can't pin it on anybody else, really. If they're, at least if they can't find evidence, it was Russia. But uh, there was a report a few weeks ago that talked about how NATO countries like France are looking for a way out of this war. That they don't see this open-ended commitment as a good use of resources. This can't go on forever. And there was some pressure on the Zelensky government to get them to the negotiating table by promising them, you know, future weapons deals and promises of protection without joining NATO. Just anything to get to the negotiating table to end this war. So maybe you're seeing some, you know, fuckery by foreign intel agencies to like, drive a wedge between Germany and Ukraine to stop the weapons flows to sort of get Zelensky to the negotiating table. I don't really know what's going on here, but it is interesting the timing of all this after the Cy Hirsch report. After months of silence over who did this, Cy Hirsch drops this report and now you're getting these fairly improbable stories of some private organization blowing up Nord Stream pipelines, throwing in some plausible deniability like, oh, well, it Ukrainian government didn't know about this. The U.S. government didn't know about this. So then the upshot of all this is, oh, nothing can happen. Like, there is no consequence to it. Yeah, that, that story, the New York Times story was written with so many hypotheticals. It was it was reporting so many hypotheticals that it, it in the context of the Cy Hirsch piece, it really read like someone at the national, someone in the national security state was calling in a favor. And yeah. it's like, hey, hey, uh, so about Nord Stream, uh, so I met a guy <laughs> who said he knew a guy, and uh, the, you know, the result was that was was that dog's breakfast of a piece. Yeah. Anyway, someone's lying. Probably the U.S. And oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I guess we'll keep an eye on this. Yeah, I'll, t I'll take Cy Hirsch over the New York Times on this one, uh, and pretty much on every other one too. For sure. One more piece of news I want to uh, mention before we get to the file folly segment, and this is somewhat related to uh, 
recession watch and uh an indication an indicator that uh you know things are trending a little worse um so as you sam are well aware viewers of means morning news i believe are well aware there uh the pandemic emergency food stamp benefits ran out this month and a an organization called the uh food research and action center estimates now that uh 16 million people will receive 82 dollars less uh in in snap benefits and some households will lose 250 dollars or more and you know that the $82 amount you know maybe it doesn't seem like a lot to you but it's a hell of a lot to the to people who need those benefits and then you throw in the expiration of the pandemic emergency which is going to kick a bunch of people off medicaid and um the child tax credit is much smaller now that and people are getting uh, uh, a lot less money than they had gotten in previous years. Um, there's a massive squeeze happening on the working class right now. Yeah. And once, once that squeeze starts and the train gets rolling, it's hard to stop it. <laughs> Speaking of which, this edition of File Follies is sponsored by the Tech Dicks at the heart of the financial industry turmoil that we have ended the week with. It started Wednesday when Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB Financial, revealed that it had lost $1.8 billion selling treasury bonds before they matured. It was part of a bid-to-stay solvent. This was to make up for uh, deposit withdrawals that have been occurring because the uh, bank is heavily exposed to uh, tech startups. We'll get to that just shortly. SVB said that it would need to raise money in capital markets to cover this $1.8 billion loss. But by Friday morning, it was reported the bank couldn't find any takers or any providers of capital, that is, and that it was looking to sell itself entirely but that was becoming more difficult, CNBC reported, as a critical mass of depositors uh, started to head to the exits. So fast forward a few hours later to the end of Friday morning, and the bank was just fucking shut down. <laughs> <laughs> shut down, like boom, gone. California state regulators fully shut down SVB like 48 hours after the first serious troubles with the bank emerged, which is... Probably the most troubling aspect of all of this, the uh, given the interest rate environment, just how quickly this happened. The FDIC subsequently took SVB into receivership, and that was the first time the agency has done something like that to a bank since October 2020. FDIC officials said insured depositors will be made whole on Monday and that they will pay uninsured depositors, quote, an advanced dividend within the next week and that the remainder of their uninsured funds will be eligible for reimbursement, quote, as the FDIC sells the assets of Silicon Valley Bank. Well, good luck with that, because SVB's portfolio, as, as noted, was heavily exposed to investments in tech startups, which made up about half the bank's total asset base, the Washington Post said, well above the industry norm. And as this is the file folly segment, here's what SVB had to say about it 
in its last annual report with the SEC that was filed just weeks ago. Quote, Many of our loans, particularly in our portfolios for early-stage and mid-stage privately held companies, are made to companies with modest or negative cash flows and or no established record of profitable operations, primarily within the technology, life science, and healthcare industries. Consequently, repayment of these loans is often dependent upon receipt by our borrowers of additional financing from venture capitalists or others, or in some cases, a successful sale to a third party. <laughs> Notice that the successful sale is only in some cases, <laughs> or a public offering or other form of liquidity or exit event. So they just need a greater fool to take over the breakthrough app that helps you locate toilets. Turdler. Just... just <laughs> Please buy Turdler. Please buy Turdler, Saudi investment fund. You need to launder your reputation a little more. Newcastle United didn't win the League Cup. Come on. Anyway, the disclosure continues. Conditions in the U.S. economy have caused certain client valuations to drop, thereby reducing the rate of financing or other exit events for certain clients, which has had and may continue to have an adverse effect on certain of our clients and their ability to repay their loans to us. Translation, uh, we may have invested in a company that gives cancer diagnosis through reaction gifts texted to your phone, and your money is gone. It's never coming back. <laughs> also, uh, another interesting part of the filing, uh, the company kind of admitted that, you know what, sometimes it doesn't really know what it's doing. Quote, we are focused on our long-term growth and have undertaken various strategic activities and business initiatives, many of which involve activities that are new to us, in some cases are experimental in nature. Hey, you miss all the shots you don't take, right? Hindsight's 2020. Uh, another interesting tidbit right after is that SVB almost seemed to revel in investing industries that it knew little about because they were just super optimistic in this annual report, which again, it was published two weeks ago on February 24th. Quote, we are expanding our global presence and may engage in activities in jurisdictions where we have limited experience from a business, legal, and or regulatory perspective uh, with the acquisition of Lee Rank Holdings LLC, now known as SVB Securities, we expanded into new lines of business, namely investment banking and merger and acquisition advisory services. Should have invested in some bankruptcy experts, dog. This is just that, this is that style now where you just, I guess all, all banks that are collapsing sort of do this, where everything's fine up until the very end. You know, as, FTX, yeah, I mean, everything was fine up until the very fucking end all of a sudden. And then it's like, oh shit, yeah, we don't have any of uh, any money left. Yeah, FTX was bailing out uh, crypto companies left and right in the in yeah. the months before it, it went down. And I mean, to a certain extent, you kind of understand the 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 uh, the optimistic tunnel vision because the economy has just run on free money, you know, for for venture capitalists and for uh, the financial sector for forever. You know, and and now now the party's stopping. Interest rates are rising, and now things are completely different. Yeah. Another interesting part of uh, SVB's risk disclosures, I noticed uh, they made some pretty big loans to a small number of people. "Quote: A significant portion of our loan portfolio is comprised of larger loans, which could increase the impact on us of any single borrower default." 
as of December 31st, 2022, loans equal to or greater than $20 million to any single client totaled $46.8 billion or 63% of our portfolio. So 63% of their loan portfolio was, was large amounts to not many people. So I don't have any great insights here. I'm just, I, I'm saying this because it's likely we'll hear more about this in the coming weeks. Now, so far, the contagion has been somewhat limited, but as of the end of last year, SVB had $200 billion in assets under management. It was the 16th largest bank in the country at the time. Uh, as Sam noted uh, at the top of the show, it was the biggest bank failure since 2008. So it's pretty much inevitable that there will be some aftershocks. The largest mega banks appear to be unscathed at this point, but regional banks are taking a beating in the stock market. And again, it's troubling that this all happened so quickly, and even more troubling that it's seemingly happening in response to broader macroeconomic conditions. As one analyst told CNBC, quote, it's becoming pretty clear that the Fed's rate hiking campaign has definitely taken policy to some very restrictive levels, and now some banks are really going to struggle here. Of course, we don't care about banks or bankers struggling. Fuck them. But this is the only shit that really trickles down. <laughs> yeah. So um, it, it, I don't want to be too alarmist here because I'll end up looking like a dick if I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, the SNL crisis in the 1980s, there wasn't like one big, you know, one major um, too big to to fail event that really like precipitated a lot of the trouble. It was it was a lot of little banks, yeah, having having trouble. And I mean, SVB Financial was not a little bank. It was unique in that it was like <laughs> it was funneling money to to tech startups. And I bet if we got a full list of those tech startups, there'd be some pretty uh, ridiculous examples on there. But, you know, this this is all in response to rapidly changing interest rate uh, environment. And, yeah, just it, it just happened in, in the blink of an eye. Like, who's to say that some bank that you never heard of next week will go under in 48 hours? Always on recession watch over here, the Sentinel boys. <laughs> Stay on recession watch. Come for your your doom economic news every week on District Sentinel Radio. Interns, bring out the garbage can. Oh, oh, it smells awful. Oh, oh it's it's filled. Oh, I it's filled with Pizzeria Paradiso pies. Oh. I went. I went. To, I went back to the restaurant. I ordered like fifty pizzas, and when they made them. I swiped them all without paying and just threw them in the garbage can. <laughs> Extra anchovies too, huh? The interns Ooh. were like, can we get some of that pizza? I was like, no, we're making a political statement here. All of it's going in the garbage can. I'll feed you all later. Oh, thank you. Thank you, interns. Right there's good. Man, that's awful pizza. Garbage candidate number one, the Pentagon. It's out of control right now. I mean, the Pentagon's always out of control, but... They are now experimenting on animals in hopes of recreating the Havana syndrome. 
Oh my god. The Pentagon just won't give it up. Like they they thought they really had something here to spark a great power war by pinning uh the existence of some brain damage inducing ray gun on Russia. So we've seen researchers, scientists who've looked into this, medical people have looked into this and said eh, this this is probably caused by pre-existing conditions, by environmental factors, stress. Even the intelligence community, a panel set up by the IC, concluded last month, or I think maybe it was earlier this month, that there is no evidence for any foreign involvement in some sort of weapon to give diplomats and spies brain damage. So the army has given a $750,000 contract to Wayne University researchers to test radio wave pulses on ferrets. Ferrets have similar brains to humans. Reading, uh, this is a report from Politico, quote, during the Wayne University study, researchers plan to expose 48 ferrets to radio frequency waves for two hours a day for 60 days. This is expected to result in, quote, an exposure profile that is likely comparable to that which our embassy personnel received. Hmm. Except for embassy personnel didn't receive any exposure to anything. What do like that quote comes from uh, some lieutenant in the army who authorized this program, the contract for this program. So they clearly still believe that embassy personnel were exposed to some sort of secret ray gun. Uh, here's the good news, though, is that the contract for torturing these animals did not go to Elon Musk. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yet. He's pretty high up on the Pentagon's speed dial list right now, so who knows? Um, yeah, also, he, prob he probably saw the, the headline and was like, hmm, good idea. Also, The Intercept reporting that U.S. special ops want to use deep fakes for PSYOP campaigns in foreign countries. <laughs> they want to use those deep fake videos to, uh, to bend and mold foreign populations so like a, a, a vladimir putin ai with six fingers saying that he's gay and yeah. like <laughs> and, and using using incorrect russian grammar yeah something like that that was so we were, we were told we were told this is something russia's gonna do <laughs> and they probably yeah. you know i'm not saying it's a beneath them i'm just you know that every every accusation a confession absolutely absolutely which makes me sort of think that this whole havana syndrome thing is going on while the u.s has been trying to develop some sort of microwave gun to, to aim at uh foreign embassies and potential spies yeah, and it's probably called the Havana Syndrome because they were like, maybe if we zap the Cuban government with guns, with ray guns, they'll just like fully embrace capitalism. <laughs> Garbage candidate number two, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Check out this tweet from Sunak, whose conservative government is pushing new anti-immigration legislation. 
Quote, if you come to the UK illegally, you can't claim asylum. You can't benefit from our modern slavery protections. You can't make spurious human rights claims. You can't stay. Wait, are you, you've left out the best part, which is the uh, the graphic. If you come to the UK, yeah. If you come to the UK illegally, you will be denied access to the UK's modern slavery system. Oh yeah, that's yes, could have been, yes, exactly. Which <laughs> probably could have been framed like, a little better. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like they're trying to say like you won't get slavery protections, or like anti-slavery. Uh, you 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 won't be protected by anti-slavery laws. But really, it sounds like well, it, you know. You're not going to benefit from our our great modern slavery system. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I was more focusing on the fucked up part of it rather than the goddamn stupid messaging part of it. But yeah, which is obviously like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it almost has like a confessional quality because there are like migrant laborers, of course, as, as they are in many other places, are like they have it pretty rough in the UK. They're like, you know, they're sweatshops and like, in the Leicester textile industry, they're, you know, the farm labor conditions, not great. Yeah. And, uh, that's increasingly the case in the U S too, with, uh, recent reports about, uh, migrant kids being picked mm-hmm. up and forced into dangerous, uh, work, child labor. Um, another tweet from Sunak quote, if you come to the UK legally, you will be stopped from making late claims and attempts to frustrate your removal. You will be removed in weeks, either to your own country, if it is safe to do so, or to a safe third country like Rwanda. And I've seen now a couple British uh, or conservative government officials do the same line where they say you'll be moved to a safe third country and then they like pause for a second and then they say like Rwanda. Like they say it in a way that's like really shitty and I don't know what's going on here. Like why are the, like, is there some deal that the UK has with Rwanda? Yeah, there, no, they did. There was um, a few, if it was a few months ago, I want to say it was the brainchild of Liz Truss, maybe when she was foreign secretary i i can't remember exactly how it came up but yeah they they did try to they they did try to enter an agreement with rwanda um which i believe has a litany of uh you know complaints about its how it handles certain um you know dissident uh etc etc et uh and it seems like they love this because you know, they want to threaten people with deportation to an African country. Yeah, that's and, the and message yeah, Rwanda- that they're tr- definitely trying to send with these. And the way that they've incorporated Rwanda as like a boogeyman country in their official messaging for this bill. So they're saying that we won't remove you to your own country if it is unsafe to do so. But you can't make spurious human rights claims. Or we'll send and- you to Rwanda. They're fucked. Of course, uh, match of the day, the, uh, the the flagship Premier League highlight show that's aired on the BBC is uh, in crisis right now because Gary Lineker, one of the presenters, said, this sounds like the sort of thing you heard in the Germany in the 1930s. And he was basically suspended from the program. And 
now others are walking off, and uh, we'll see if 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 the show happens on Saturday. Yeah, or, the co-host Ian what, Wright said he's Ian not Wright. Show yeah, up. Righty, Righty's gone. Um, that's like half the show. <laughs> so, you know this this is this is having this is this is a controversy, and uh, you know I'm glad to see there's pushback. Although I will note that uh, Gary Lineker was one of the he, one of the many. Um, anti-Corbin celebrity voices. So he was talking this week about, oh, I will always stand up for people who who don't have a voice. And Well, mate, you had your charge with Corbin and you, you <laughs> fucking bottled it, didn't ya? <laughs> All right, garbage candidate number three. I, I will say that uh, the, the funniest tweet I saw this week and I don't remember who posted it. I saw it on like the For You tab, not... Um, anyone I follow, but they're probably a good tweeter, is uh, uh, watching the movie Children Children of Men, just consider that the rest of the world is normal and Britain's just like that. <laughs> and you look at uh, UK politics right now, they're like fast-tracking to a Children of Men world without any of the apocalyptic triggers that exist in that movie. Yeah, I, well, I, I guess I need to see that movie now to, to get oh, that Oh, you've joke. never seen yeah. it? No. You watch that movie and I'll watch that other movie, Canadian Bacon, one day that you've told me on multiple episodes now I need to watch. Oh, yeah. All right, garbage candidate number three, Senator Lindsey Graham. He wants to introduce an AUMF against Mexico. He went on Fox News and said he'll be introducing legislation to authorize military force, U.S. military force against Mexico so that we can start bombing drug labs, sending special forces in to raid cartel compounds, stuff like that. The uh, House Oversight Chair, Committee Chair, James Comer, uh, also agreed we need more U.S. military action in Mexico and said that it was a mistake that the U.S. didn't bomb Mexico during the Trump administration. Uh, Trump reportedly suggested bombing Mexico, but was talked down from it by then Defense Secretary Mark Esper. Wow, that is bleak. Um, Jesus. Uh, You know, all I have to say about that, and maybe this is a, a foolish optimism, is that if that does happen, uh, let it be the end of the United States of America. Um, I can see that. I think that I would hope the majority of people would be outraged if uh, such a war was started, and uh, you know, maybe maybe things would happen quickly. You know, maybe maybe there'd be some 1917 shit. <laughs> I don't know. Garbage can number four, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen. What kind of fucking name is that? I'm Mark Wayne. On his Wikipedia, it says his name is Mark Wayne Mullen. Nickname, Mark Wayne. So his first name is Mark. His yes. middle name is May is Wayne. Yes. But then he decided to go by Mark Wayne. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's that's weird. 
Well, the Republican senator tried to fight Teamsters President Sean O'Brien this week and probably would have gotten his ass beaten had Bernie not settled everyone down. This was during a hearing in the Senate Health Committee, the uh, Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee. Uh, Bernie is the chairman of that committee called a hearing on the PRO Act. And Mullen, a business owner worth like $30 million, who's resisted organizing efforts among his own workers, attacked O'Brien, claiming all he does is suck money out of working people to pay his exorbitant salary. That, that's all O'Brien does as a union president, is suck money from workers. Again, this coming from a guy who's worth like $30 million. Uh, when O'Brien returned fire, Mullen flipped the fuck out. Here's the clip. Uh, the first voice you hear is Mark Wayne's. You want to say that you're trying to provide because you're forcing them to pay dues? And no, then, we don't force them. Senator, you've asked the you're question. You're out of line. Let him Actually, I have And no, don't tell me I'm out of line. You are in line. Don't tell me I'm out of line. Well, you, you, you frame. Don't tell me. You I'm frame, you frame, you frame third, the statement. You frame the statement. Shut your mouth. Yeah. Because you don't know you're what you're talking about. You're going to tell me to shut my mouth? Yes, yeah. I did. Hold it. Hold it. Tough guy. I'm not afraid of physical. Hold it. But don't sit there and tell me I'm out of line. I go back to the whole fact that, sir, you haven't created a job. We haven't? You haven't been there. You haven't. Sure we have. You haven't. Sure we have. Tell me one job that you created. What are, what are you talking about? Be specific. You're like, an employer? You no, we're not an employer. employ people? No, but, you know, it's funny. So, no, then, we, we hold create, on. Then, then, we then create opportunity. Jobs. We create opportunity because we, Sir, hold, that's, that's we not, hold greedy CEOs like yourself not, accountable. You call me a greedy CEO. Oh, yeah, you are. You want to attack my salary, I'll attack yours. You're, what did ahead. you make? What did you make when you owned your company? When I made my company, I kept my salary down at about uh, 50000 a year because I invested every penny into it. Okay. All right. You mean you hid money? No, I didn't hide. Oh, okay. hold on a second. Okay, call it. He said that's out of line. You said right, I was out of line. We're even. We're, he's, even. we're not even. We're not even close to being even. You I think know. it's smart? You think you're funny? No, you're you, not. You think you're funny? No. For people who can't see, during this entire time, O'Brien is just like smiling at Mark Wayne, who is like tattling to Bernie, like he can't say that. That's not fair. He can't say that. No doubt that uh, you could tell by O'Brien's attitude. He's He's been in a couple brawls, brawls in his life, probably. He knows how to handle himself in a fight. Not so sure about Mark Wayne. Oh, yeah, I, by, my money is on Sean uh, in that one, for sure. Although maybe maybe the odds would be too low. Maybe maybe I'd be chasing those high odds. <laughs> I don't know for Mark Wayne. I think Mark Wayne is a bigger dude, so maybe you know, the money will be on him because he's bigger and. Yeah, but he he looks and sounds like such a weenie yes, that yes, yes, just got to go with the sure thing and, and he's got a slap that job. bet on Sean. Yeah. Garbage candidate number five, J.P. Morgan. The bank's embroiled in a lawsuit over its ties to child sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein. The uh, the bank kept Epstein on as a client with under its wealth uh, at, under its asset management firm division kept Epstein on as a client all the way up until 2013. So that's like five years after Epstein's first conviction uh, down in Florida of sexually abusing children. Because the bank kept Epstein on so long, it's now getting sued by the U.S. Virgin Islands and an unnamed Jane Doe client or unknown Jane Doe plaintiff who say that the bank basically helped finance Epstein's child sex trafficking operation. 
according to records that have been released as part of the lawsuit, uh, there was an email in which that seemed to allude to Diamond personally reviewing whether or not to keep Epstein on as a client. And ultimately, Epstein was kept on as a client. The bank is now trying to shield itself from liability in this case by suing a former executive, Jess Staley, who was in charge of the asset management division at the time, who was friends with Epstein, who's also been charged with sexual assault. I'm trying to pin the blame on him. They've sued him and want him to pay for any damages that might uh, be part of a judgment against the bank. It was uh, an unorthodox strategy, but J.P. Morgan's lawyer actually uh, appeared in court wearing a shirt that said, not involved in human trafficking. (laughs) (laughs) Your Honor, I'm being asked questions that are already answered by the shirt. Uh, Just to be clear, that that was a joke. So do not sue me, J.P. Morgan Chase. Finally, garbage candidate number six, Matt Taibbi, a patriot according to Ted Cruz. <laughs> Taibbi this week was the star witness in Jim Jordan's sham hearing about the U.S. deep state censoring conservatives. This is all a result of Taibbi's reporting on the Twitter files um, in which Taibbi has made an arrangement with Elon Musk to report on a limited number of documents Taibbi is allowed to request more documents, but ultimately it's up to Musk's team to determine what documents to give to Taibbi to report on things that went down under the prior regime at Twitter. Uh, It seems to be a condition that Taibbi can't report on anything that's happening at Twitter right now (laughs) under (laughs) Musk's leadership. And we know a bunch of fucked up shit is happening. Uh, We know various left-wing accounts have been banned. Uh, We know that Musk has uh, engaged in government-forced censorship on Twitter networks abroad. But Taibbi not reporting on any of that stuff. Uh, It's clear that the Twitter files, while there might be some newsworthy items that have come out that serve the public interest, The primary motivation here is Musk burnishing his image during a takeover of Twitter and Musk trying to curry favor with Republican regulators, Republican lawmakers, by helping them advance a narrative that conservatives have been somehow treated unfairly by the deep state. Uh, Because Taibbi is in this relationship with one of the world's richest men to serve his interests, Uh, It left him vulnerable to a very easy attack from one of the most pathetic lawmakers in Congress, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, in which Taibbi had uh, repeated a line from Cy Hirsch on the Joe Rogan show about, you know, how you've already lost once powerful people are handing you documents, wanting you to report on the things they want you to report on. Well, that's exactly what Taibbi's doing now with his relationship uh, with Elon Musk. Yeah, I, I I really don't know, you know, what Tybee has reported on that people weren't aware of, like at the time that the Hunter Biden stuff was, you know, when the Trump uh, campaign was trying to make a huge deal of it. And yeah. 
yeah, I had Aaron, I had dipshit Aaron Maté in my mentions. Like, uh, I learned from the Twitter files that the Hamilton '68 uh, Russia bot tracker was a neocon plot. It's like, dude, I was tweeting about that shit in like 2017. Yeah, you could see it in. <laughs> it's obvious. Like people were writing <laughs> articles about this stuff already. Like, you know, there is some newsworthy information about the relationship that various government agencies have with powerful social media companies, not just at Twitter. But again, this is being presented in a slanted way. It's not a big surprise that government agencies make requests to social media companies to advance certain narratives. That's obvious. I'm not saying it's not useful. Like, and it's useful to get that information, to get the mechanisms of how that happens out there. But for Taibi to claim that this is the biggest story of his life, that this is bigger than the reporting he did on the greatest theft of all time with the 2008 financial crash, it, he just discredits himself. He totally discredits himself. All right. Yeah, I mean, he's he's clearly trying to ingratiate himself to reactionaries, and he's been doing that for a while. Like, you noted how he posted to his Substack followers, like, oh, should I go into the nitty-gritty details of a congressional hearing? And they all replied, no, just talk about all the fucking SJW woke freaks that we <laughs> love to read about. And, like, yeah, I mean, just he and Glenn, just they, they just want... They want to be liked so bad. I think that's really what it comes down to it. And it's by really the biggest sad. fucking losers. By the biggest disgusting losers. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. This this whole episode uh rekindled my uh my online feud with Glenn Greenwald. I just gotten bored with him because he's just like an old reactionary now and everybody is onto it, so I don't tweet about him as much back as when people were like, Oh, Glenn's still cool, Glenn's good, Glenn's on the left. It's like, no, you're in wrong glenn is a fucking reactionary freak now everybody knows this so i've just moved on from him uh glenn got really mad that i shared a clip of taibi getting wrecked by debbie wasserman schultz and by the way in the tweet i made it clear that that she's pathetic herself uh but glenn was so fucking yacked up that he has no reading comprehension and just got enraged that i was making fun of of taibi that he was like firing tweets all day at me calling me a lib calling me a debbie wasserman schultz supporter claiming i i want to defend big tech and it's like dude you're literally getting paid by big tech that's who's writing your paycheck right now yeah and glenn is you, always defending republicans like, yes we are never defending democrats no no all right who's going in the garbage can Oh. Let's just fucking throw Matt Tybee in yeah, the garbage Yeah, let's throw Tybee. Let Tybee's going in. Matt Tybee, you are going in the garbage can. Oh. oh. Well, at least oh. you've got some good headwear in there. We put a bunch of shitty fedoras in the garbage can, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I took a shit in a few of them beforehand, so enjoy that, Matt. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.